children are dismissed to junior church at this time. And if you want to begin to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verse 30. That's going to be the first scripture we're going to go to today. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 30. We're not going to go there yet, though. We'll go there here in a minute. Uh, So if you just want to make your way. Uh, This is a sermon series on heaven, which is going to go for about another month. And I want to remind you of your homework assignment, which I gave on the very first Sunday of this sermon series on heaven. And it is, if you've remained with me through the different sermons on heaven, or maybe if you've had to miss a Sunday, but you've, you've uh, listened to it online, or you picked up the manuscript, uh, some Sundays might be better than others, depending on your, your preference or whatever, or, or my health, I don't know. But if you've missed some, or seen some, or heard all of them, and you think, there's a topic that I really wish was covered. And I really wish Pastor Steve would talk about one idea about heaven. Uh, give, submit that to me. Text me, email me, drop it off at the office. And my goal, one of my goals for the last Sunday of the Sermon Series in Heaven, which is going to be the last Sunday of February, is to kind of rapid-fire answer, answer some of the questions that you submit about heaven. I can't answer everything. But I think the Bible does, I believe, I don't just think, I strongly believe, the Bible gives a lot of answers from Genesis to Revelation as you look at the different books of the Bible about heaven. And so we're talking about heaven. And, you know, if you were going to go for a trip somewhere, say Israel, say you were going to go to Israel, would you maybe think about what you're going to do when you get there? Would you maybe meditate and uh, meditate like think on? I don't mean like meditate like yoga, but meditate, think on. What are you going to do when you get to Israel? Maybe make some plans. I want to stay here. I want to go to this restaurant. I want to, this is how I'm going to travel. These are the routes. Uh, you would think about that, wouldn't you? Well, our eternity is in heaven. For anyone who is here, who is in Christ, and Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that's our eternity. That's our eternal life. But oftentimes we don't think about heaven. And when we do, a lot of times it's with negative thoughts or emotions. I, I shared about that in the first sermon of the series. I, I talked about a term that Randy Alcorn coined, Christoplatonism. Christoplatonism. And that's Christ, Plato. Plato was a philosopher uh, during around 500 or so BC. And Plato's philosophical Uh, uh, teaching would teach that anything of the world, anything of the material realm, of the material realm, including the human body, is bad. And so the early church, being uh, influenced by that, started in the first few centuries of the church um, mixing Christian teaching with that type of teaching that was against the material realm. And so we talk about heaven, and we think it's immaterial, it's intangible. It's not tangible. It's not real. It's, it's floating on the clouds. And that's not what the Bible teaches about heaven. The Bible does not describe it, heaven that way. I, I shared a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. I was visiting one of my church members at my last church, who's, who's now with the Lord. And, and he said, ah, I believe in heaven. This gentleman said, I believe in heaven. It's just your soul that goes, not your body. And I said, that's not what the That's not what the Bible teaches. He said, I know, but I believe it's just a soul. And he wasn't just talking about, he was talking about the new heaven and new earth. He thought it was immaterial. We don't even have real bodies. But 1 Corinthians 15 is clear about the resurrected body. Revelation 21 and 22 is clear about resurrected bodies, about a real place with a city and a vineyard and all these other things. Heaven is real. And we were created for it. 
Heaven is real and we were created for it. And so we come to this question that everybody wants to know. And I don't mean to answer the question, just meaning make it just about the question, but to help paint a picture of heaven for us. Are dogs and animals in heaven? Some of you are probably sitting there and thinking, I hope this pet's in heaven, but not this pet. You might be able to name a certain cat or a dog that you had, and you think, oh, no way. That I'll, it will not be heaven with that, that dog in heaven. Some of you may be thinking, I hope all my pets are in heaven. And some of you are indifferent and really don't care. When I was a kid, I would watch the Twilight Zone. Any of you remember the Twilight Zone? Twilight Zone from the 60s. And there was a particular episode about Hyder Simpson. And Hyder Simpson is an elderly mountain man, and he lives with his wife, Rachel, and his hound dog named Rip in the backwoods. Rachel does not like having the dog indoors, but Rip saved Hyder's life once, and Hyder refuses to part with his, his hound dog, his hound dog Rip. Rachel's seen some bad omens, and recently uh, she warns Hyder not to go raccoon hunting that night. When Rip dives into a pond after a raccoon, Hyder jumps in after him. But only the raccoon comes up out of the water. (laughs) Both Hyder and the dog Rip do not come up out of the water. They drown. The next morning, in that Twilight Zone episode, and the next morning, Hyder... And Rip wake up next to the pond. And when they return home, Hyder finds out that neither Rachel, the preacher, nor the neighbors can hear him or see him. They're all under the impression that he has died. So Hyder and his raccoon dog, raccoon hunting dog, Rip, start walking, because nobody could hear him. And they find an entrance into these Elysian fields and They find a man who he thinks is St. Peter. And this man says, Hyder can enter, but not the dog Rip. The dog Rip cannot enter this particular area. And so Hyder says, if my dog can't go in there, I'm not going in there either. And in fact, if I recall the episode, it even shows a dog being a little concerned about that particular area that they thought was heaven. So Hyder and Rip, they keep on walking down this trail, you know, hoping to find some better place for their eternity. And they find another location. And Hyder and Rip stop to rest, and they're met by a young man who introduces himself as an angel, dispatched to find him and bring them to heaven. When Hyder explains his previous encounter, the angel tells him that the gate was actually the entrance to hell. The gatekeeper had stopped Rip from entering because Rip the dog would have smelled the brimstone inside and warned Hyder that something was wrong. The angel says, you see, Mr. Simpson, a man, well, he'll walk right into hell with both eyes open. But even the devil can't fool a dog. As angel leads Hyder along the eternity road toward heaven, the angel tells Hyder that a square dance and raccoon hunt are scheduled for that night. He also assures Heidel that Hyder, he also assures Hyder that Rachel, his wife, will soon be coming along the road. 
and she will not miss the entrance by going into the entrance into hell. By that Twilight Zone episode, it seems like the dogs are allowed into heaven, but the raccoons are allowed so they can be hunted (laughs) because there'll be a raccoon hunt later on that day. The closing narration of the Twilight Zone was always an interesting part, and in this case, um, they said, travelers to unknown regions would be well advised to take along the family dog. He could just save you from entering the wrong gate. At least it happened that way once in a mountainous area of the Twilight Zone. You know, I wonder if our love for animals is because God created animals. He created animals as part of Eden. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 30, Genesis, the very first book of your Bible, and you go to chapter 1 and verse 30, it reads, Into every beast of the earth, into every bird of the heavens, into everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So it references the beasts of the earth. It references animals right there in the Garden of Eden. And certainly as you read Genesis chapter 1 and you see God creating in the Garden of Eden, he has animals there. And this passage that we just read references animals in the Garden of Eden and also references the breath of life in them. Did you notice that? The beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life in it. Everything that has the breath of life in it. Animals were in paradise when God first created it, prior to the fall of man. In the eternal heaven in Revelation 22, it seems that 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 heaven reflects the first Garden of Eden. We will see a tree of life again in Revelation 22, verse 2. As there was a tree of life in the first Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. We see a river in the eternal heaven in Revelation 22.1. We see two rivers in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 13. It does seem that the new eternal, eternal new Jerusalem is going to be like the Garden of Eden was meant to be, only much better. The eternal new Jerusalem, which is the eternal heaven, the eternal new heavens and new earth, will be like the, like the Garden of Eden was, only much better. It would seem that since animals were in the first garden, they will be with us in eternity. And let's talk about that for a moment. As we look at descriptions of heaven, we see many descriptions of animals in heaven. My theme today is animals were created by God as part of paradise, and that will continue into the new creation. Animals were created by God as part of paradise, and that will continue into the new creation. And I hope this is encouraging for you. Of course, if you're one of those that had a bad experience with animals along the way, uh, it may not. I've jogged a lot, and you have not lived till you're chased by a couple dogs. And, <laughs> but, of course, we all do like our family pets for the most part, too, don't we? Let's start by talking about souls. Do animals have souls? 
A lot of times in this conversation, we think about uh, whether animals have souls. And a lot of times our gut response is no. Animals don't have souls. So how can they be, uh, how can they be in heaven or at least how can they be you know, resurrected into heaven? And, and I want to lay my cards on the table. I like animals. I really do. I like pigs because they give us bacon. <laughs> I like any bacon. I like chickens because they give us eggs. I really like eggs. <laughs> and I really like bacon. And I really like animals in that case. Um, I was talking with another pastor and his wife. And the wife had served a short-term trip. Well, it wasn't sure. It was two years or so in China on the mission field. And when she was first meeting her fiancé, now husband's parents, they were, they, they were eating out. They were eating dinner. And they said, how do you like your, I don't know whether it was a steak or what. She said, how do you, they said to her, how do you like it? And she said, oh, it's great. It tastes like dog. And now coming from China, and that was okay. Coming to the United States, not as much. You might know of the great documentary about the Revolutionary War called The Patriot. It's not a documentary, it's a movie. Anyways, (laughs) the movie The Patriot, and there's the scene where um, Mel Gibson's character finds General Cornwallis's dogs. And they're great dogs. And somebody says, I say we take this and we eat the dogs. And somebody says, eat the dogs. And, and Mel Gibson's character says, yes, a dog is a very fine meal. But we have this love-hate relationship with animals, right? We love them for food and we love them for pets. And what one person might call a pet, another person might call a meal. You know, I like a good steak. But in seriousness, I do love to hear the birds in the morning. I love to watch deer. I grew up with tropical fish, and I've had aquariums as large as 135 gallons. Uh, At the last church I served, I had a uh, 55-gallon aquarium in my office with what are called African cichlids as well. Even with all of that, you know, we have a dog and a cat, and I grew up with dogs and cats. One of my favorite jobs was serving, uh, working at a, at a tropical fish store, which had other pets as well. Didn't really like the snakes and tarantulas, though, um, and scorpions. At one point, we had to get the tarantula out, but I was able to get another employee to, to do that for me. Uh, I like animals, but even as I began my research for this sermon, my gut reaction is, yeah, animals are in heaven, but I'm not as convinced that our pets are resurrected in heaven. However, as I started reviewing uh, research on this and, and looking at the idea of a soul, it's quite likely animals do have souls. Let me share more. When God breathed a spirit into Adam's body made from the earth, Adam became a nephesh which means a living being or soul. That's Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Adam became a living being or soul. And the Hebrew word is nephesh. Randy Alcorn writes, remarkably, the same Hebrew word nephesh is used for animals and for people. We are specifically, specifically told that not only people, but animals have the breath of life in them. Not only, not only people, but animals also have the breath of life in them. That's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 30, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 6, verse 17, chapter 7, verse 15, chapter 22. You can look up all those verses on your own later on if you want. Animals also have the breath of life in them, which has that Hebrew idea of nephesh. God handmade animals, linking them both to the earth and humanity. 
Uh, Randy Alcorn continues, am I suggesting animals have souls? Certainly they do not have human souls. Animals are not created in God's image. That's important. Animals are not created into God, in, in, in God's image. And animals are not equal to humans in any sense. That's why I am for PETA. It stands for People Eating Tasty Animals. Animals are not, animals are not created in God's image. They do not have a human soul. Nonetheless, there's a strong biblical case for animals having non-human souls. Elkhorn continues, I didn't take this seriously until I studied the usage of the Hebrew and Greek words nephesh, which is Hebrew, and psyche, which is often translated soul when referring to humans in the Old Testament uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. The fact that these words are often used of animals is compelling evidence that they have non-human souls. That's what most Christians in the past believed. In fact, in their book, Beyond Death, uh, Gary Habermas and J.P. Moreland point out it wasn't until the advent of 17th century enlightenment that the existence of animal souls were even questioned in Western civilization. So historically, through church history, it was never even questioned until more recently. So it seems that animals do have souls, though non-human souls, not like humans. And, and so... The question, next question is, how will people and animals relate in heaven? How will people and animals relate in the new heaven and new earth? It seems that we will relate similarly, similarly to the way we were to relate in the Garden of Eden. Randy Alcorn shares, God created us to be stewards of animals. He holds us accountable for how we treat them. Here's some scripture. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. The godly are concerned for the welfare of their animals. We are caretakers of the animals, but they belong to God, not us. Psalm number 50, verses 10 through 11. For all the animals of the forest are mine. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountains and all the animals of the field belong to me. And that's God speaking in Psalm 50. Some people regard emotional attachment to animals as a, as a modern development. But one of my favorite Bible stories is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet goes to confront King David about his sin with Bathsheba. And how does Nathan go about this? He tells David a parable, basically. He tells him a parable. He tells him about a poor man who had a little lamb. And this poor man shared his food and, and with the little lamb. This poor man drank from the same cup with the little lamb. This poor man even slept in, uh, the, the little lamb even slept in his arms. He says this little lamb was like a daughter to this poor man. There's no suggestion that this man's affection for his pet was inappropriate. David, unaware the story was told to expose his own sin, angrily responded that the man who stole the precious pet deserved to die. David had this emotional connection to this, to this uh, story because Nathan went on to say that somebody else came along and took that poor little lamb to have it slaughtered and, uh, for a meal. And David was angry about that. We needn't speculate how God might populate a perfect earth. 
He populated Eden with animals under, under the role of his people. And God doesn't make mistakes. So here's another question. Will animals praise God? Do animals praise God? This was new to me. I never really thought of animals praising God. But if you look at scripture, we see animals praising God. Uh, consider Psalm 148 verses 10 through 11. Psalm 148 verses 10 through 11 reads, Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. They're all praising God. Beasts and livestock, they're all praising God together. So if in some sense, fallen animals, shadows of what they once were can praise God in this fallen earth, how much more should we expect animals in the new heaven and new earth to praise God? If they're praising God now in our fallen, depraved world, how much more should we expect that they're going to be praising God in the new heaven and new earth? Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And if you jump to Revelation... I believe a lot of the scenes of Revelation, including the scenes of worship, like Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, they take place during the intermediate heaven. It's not yet the new heaven and new earth. It's the heaven that exists right now, where God is right now, where we go to right now when we die. And eight times, eight times in Revelation, um, the word living creatures or the phrase living creatures is used about the present in heaven. Uh, here's, a, here's a case. Day and night, they never stopped saying. Day and night, the living creatures never kept saying, never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. And if you look at that word, that phrase, living creatures, most of the time that's used of animals. So that seems to mean that in heaven, that's a heavenly scene. That's a heavenly scene of worship. So that seems to show that in heaven, there will be living creatures. There will be animals worshiping and praising God. Now, in Randy Alcorn's marvelous book, Heaven, he gets into greater detail. But we're going to move on now. So will animals be resurrected? We've talked about, well, animals have souls. Do they have soul? We talked about animals praising God. The question is, to me, it's indisputable. It's indisputable that animals are in heaven. The question is, are they going to be resurrected? Are the animals right now going to be resurrected? Psalm 104 is all about animals. And we get to verse 30, Psalm 104, verse 30. And it references renewing them. It references renewing the animals. This seems to mean that they are resurrected, renewing them. It seems to mean that they are resurrected in the new heaven. It seems that it glorified God more by restoring than recreating. See, God could do whatever he wants. When God creates a new heaven and a new earth, when God creates heaven, he could just recreate animals and think, we want animals to be here, so we're just going to recreate them. But maybe, just maybe, it glorifies God more by restoring them than by recreating. When God makes things right in eternity, it's as if God is saying, I can show you things can be redeemed. God will redeem all things. 
Now, if animals are resurrected, this means your pet may be in heaven as well. But this is the part of today's message I am least confident in. I'm very confident that animals are going to be in heaven. I'm least confident that our first dog, Lacey, is going to be in heaven. If so, she might be mad at me. I don't know. But I'm confident about animals. It's clear from Scripture but I'm not as confident that they are resurrected animals. A few other thoughts as we move into applications. Heaven is going to be awesome with or without your pet. Heaven will be awesome with or without your pet. Heaven will be with God in paradise. Secondly, Don't discourage people from grieving the loss of an animal. That is appropriate. God created animals for us, and we are sad when they leave us. Don't discourage the grieving of the loss of an animal. By the way, a little extra thought here. I don't know if you've ever done this or if people even do this. Uh, You know, sometimes the pet goldfish dies while the kids are at school, and so you go and get a new pet goldfish before the kids get home. That's kind of the worst thing we can do because kids can learn about death through animals. In other words, historically, we've been agricultural societies, and kids naturally learned about death by having animals die. They learned about that, and they were more prepared when, you know, a human being, you know, an actual human passes from this life to this next, to the next. Don't discourage, though. It's it's totally right to grieve the passing of of a pet. I believe the Bible teaches us not to abuse animals, too. We are to take care of them. We see that in the Proverbs passage I read. We are to be stewards of, of pets, of animals, not just pets, but we, shouldn't, we should not tolerate, we should not condone, and we certainly should not participate in the abuse of any, of any animal at all. Another thing is Romans 8 teaches us that all creation is waiting redemption. And this includes animals. All creation is waiting redemption. And and by that awaiting redemption, I think a major part of that means all creation is grieving, grieving being in a fallen world. All creation is suffering being in a fallen, depraved world. And eventually God is going to restore all things. God is going to make things new. God is going to make things right. In many of his writings, C.S. Lewis commented on the future of animals. C.S. Lewis said, It seems to me possible that certain animals may have an immortality, not in themselves, but in the immortality of their masters. Very few animals indeed in their wild state attain to a self or ego. But if any do, and if it is agreeable to the goodness of God that they should live again, their immortality would also be related to man. Not this time to individual masters, but to humanity. In The Great Divorce, Lewis portrayed Sarah Smith, a woman ordinary on earth, as great in heaven. On earth, Sarah Smith loved both people and animals. In heaven, she is surrounded by the very animals she cared for on earth. What an interesting picture. In her excellent book about heaven, Johnny Erickson Tata, Johnny Erickson Tata being a Christian uh, quadriplegic for 55 or so years now and uh, runs a great ministry, Johnny and Friends. In her book on heaven, she wrote this. She said, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. 
It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, exorbitant, excessive, extravagant in grace after grace. Of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us, the potential of seeing Scrappy would be pure whimsy, utterly, joyfully, surprisingly superfluous. Heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. I like how she wrote about how God just loves, delights, lavishing love on his children. You know, heaven will be more amazing than anything we can imagine. We can look forward to heaven. Now, the greatest of applications, though, the greatest of applications uh, for today in this series about heaven is that heaven is only possible because Jesus is, because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross. Whenever we talk about heaven, we must put it in the context of the creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created everything good. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 through 2. God created everything good. We see that in the Garden of Eden, which we read some verses from. He created everything good. Creation fell in Genesis 3. We've lived in a fallen, depraved, sin-filled world ever since. God has redeemed us. That's, you know, the gospel. That's John 3, 16. That's John 14, 6. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except by him. And certainly John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall inherit everlasting life. That's, we're redeemed. And someday God's gonna restore all things. He's going to make things right. He's going to take care of sin. He's going to get rid of sin. And we're going to be in the new heaven and new earth if we are in Christ. God freely gives us salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. And I want to ask again, are you going to be there? As we talk about heaven, if you're more focused on certain things about heaven, but not on Jesus. The biggest, greatest focus is Jesus. Last week we talked about how heaven will not be boring. And the greatest reason heaven will not be boring is we're gonna be there with Jesus. We're gonna be in heaven with Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're gonna be in heaven with our savior. We'll also be in heaven with those who have gone on before us, who were in Christ. But Jesus is going to be there in heaven. We will be with him. He has freely gifted us salvation. You know, that separates Christianity from other religions. Christianity is about what Jesus has done to restore us, to make us whole again. Christianity is about what Jesus has done, completed, died in the cross, rose again to freely gift us with heaven, with, with fullness of life now and eternal life later. It's done. It's what Jesus has done. That's what separates us from other religions. The other religions aren't about that. They're about works. They're about how we earn our way to heaven. We have to earn it. Or they're about karma. We joke about karma in the United States. If you actually talk to somebody who lives in the East, who deals with the problems of karma, it's no joke. Because of karma, you're going to be be, um, reincarnated and you're suffer from things from this life. Christianity is not about that. Christianity is about what Jesus has done to freely let us into heaven, to freely accept us into heaven. You know, 
Do you know him? And are you living in a relationship with Jesus now? Are you trusting in his salvation now? And not just believing in him, but living for him now. If you don't want to live for Jesus now, don't expect to be with him for all eternity. Are you making Jesus Lord of your life now? Are you living for him now? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What is the test? I think a lot of it's about repentance. Is the Holy Spirit showing us more things that we need to repent of, uh, more ways to have a closer relationship with him? Is he showing us more ways that he wants to work in us to help us grow in him? Do we care about sharing that faith with others? Do we care about the fullness of life Jesus offers now? See, sometimes we only focus on Jesus giving us eternal life. And that's heaven. That's why I'm preaching this series is to focus on that eternal life. But never miss, Jesus gives us fullness of life now, complete life now. Romans 8, 9, we have the Holy Spirit within us if we are in Christ. We have, we have fullness of life, complete life, abundant life now. Jesus gives us the water from the well that never runs dry. John chapter 4, it's the sip that never goes dry, you know, from that well. Do you have that? Do you know him? Jesus gives us his close relationship with him. I thought of an image of this last week, a little metaphor. Uh, there's a picture of John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy's son, playing under the desk in the Oval Office. And you probably know about this. I think he was even giving some type of radio address. And then people started hearing his son in the background. Now, not, not just anybody could do that. That could happen because he was a son of the President of the United States. Now, I'm not the president of the United States, but sometimes while I'm in certain meetings at the church and my kids are here and I walk back in my office afterwards and, and I see my charger gone and other things moved around on the desk and, you know, my Revolutionary War soldiers moved around and things like that. Now, if I walked in and I just saw somebody who I hardly know just, you know, moving things around, I would think, uh, why are you in here? What are you doing in here? But if I see my kids in there, oh, they're my kids. They're hanging out. They have to be here in meetings. They can do that. When they call, oftentimes, hopefully, I'll answer the phone. That's the type of relationship God wants to have with us. When we call him, he's there to answer. First John chapter 3 talks about being adopted into God's family. We're not considered a slave. We're not considered a servant. We are adopted into God's family. He gives us fullness of life, complete life, abundant life, that we can talk to him like a father to a son, you know, a son to a father, a daughter to a father. You're a daughter, a son of the Most High, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. As we talk about heaven, the greatest thing you need to consider, we all need to consider, is are we going there? Are we trusting in him now? Do we have fullness of life in him? Are we pursuing a relationship with now? Are, with him now? Are we living with him now? Are we connected to him now? John chapter 15, he is the vine, we are the branches. And if not, turn your life over him, to him today. If you've strayed and you think, I've committed to him, but I'm not really living for him. 
rededicate your life to him today. Say, Lord Jesus, I don't only want to believe in you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to live with you. I want to live in a relationship continually connected to Jesus. Do you love the things Jesus loves? As you grow in Christ, are you less and less um, tolerant or, or do you have more and more troubles with sin around you? Does it grieve you? It grieves God. And as we grow closer to Christ, we love the things we, he loves and we don't like the things that he doesn't like. We hate the things that he hates, which is sin. First and foremost, sin in us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that as we study heaven, we can see how awesome it is that there are animals there in heaven. Maybe those are our pets as well. Maybe they're both, our pets and, so to speak, wild animals. But most of all, most of all, most of all, Lord, I thank you that you take us to heaven to be with you. Lord God, I thank you that as I see these pictures of heaven in scripture, it's not heaven where we, will, where, where we will live apart from you. No, we live with you. As Revelation 21 says, you will dwell with us. You, Lord God, will dwell with us and you will be our God in heaven. Lord God, I pray that we are growing in you. If there's anyone here today who is strayed from you, I pray that today will be the day where they come back to you. If there's anyone here today or maybe listening at home who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord God, I pray that today will be the day they confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior and believe in you as the one and only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. Lord God, help us being committed to you. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through the Holy Spirit inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close this service, if God has laid anything on your heart and you wanna come forward in prayer, uh, we'll have people up here to pray with you. And, you know, it may be something you're dealing with that you could be coming forward to pray for a family member, a friend, or a, a coworker dealing with hardship or suffering, whether it's cancer or whether it's um, another sickness or illness or a caregiver. Don't, don't be ashamed to come forward. We'd love to pray with you.